Welcome to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief, a monthly recap of the macroeconomic and market environment. Well, greetings and welcome to the Investment Strategy Brief podcast for August of 2022. This is Michael O'Keefe, Stiefel's Chief Investment Officer. You know, in August, it's, uh, you know, summertime. This year, I would describe it as quiet but super busy. So a lot going on out in the world for sure. We're going to dive into it a little bit. And really, take this advantage of the of the current environment, right? Sort of a little bit of a slowdown in the summer to really kind of present things from the perspective of how to navigate the balance of the year. So navigating the rest of 2022. Now, recall, as we discussed last month, that earlier in the year, we uh, issued our outlook that really anchored on the idea of balancing acts. So we had the pandemic and shutdowns, the Fed trying to fight inflation, companies trying to maintain profitability, geopolitics and sort of shifts in deglobalization and protectionism, and then the balance of power kind of in play in D.C., especially around the midterms. And then we talked about the idea that uh, what has caused a lot of trouble in 2022 are the imbalances that have, have been formed really around, number one, supply chain, number two, China's zero-COVID policies amplifying the supply chain issue as did, in, in fact, the uh, very tragic Russia invasion, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And then uh, you know, coupling that with the excess demand we saw in the wake of the really historic fiscal and monetary support uh, during the pandemic and the reopening, we have had elevated inflation, and elevated inflation has been in focus. You know, uh, the Fed really is a good barometer for uh, both forecasts and uh, policy, and then in turn, uh, the sort of economic uh, growth that we're experiencing or not here in 2022. And when we look back at uh, the sort of progression of the Fed, uh, the Fed's thinking and its policy, if we go back to the end of last year, basically the, the view of the Fed was that inflation was going to come under control, that it was transitory. They wouldn't have to do much with the Fed funds rate and growth would be well above trend. March, they realized, gee, inflation isn't coming down, so they revised their forecast for the year to go higher. That meant they had to signal a more hawkish shift, so they brought their Fed funds rate to target for the year up a bit, and that, uh, in turn, they forecasted would cost economic growth. And then finally, we hit the June meeting, which we've discussed before, and they had to revise their uh, 2022 inflation forecast even higher, above 5%, which meant a much more aggressive hawkish shift and a much bigger reduction in economic growth. So they're trying to manage to a soft landing. Their official forecast for now is at least at, uh, below, slightly below trend growth, uh, trend growth at 1.7%. But I'd say, and we'll get into this in a moment, uh, one of the things we'll be watching uh, through the balance of the year is Fed policy and inflation. Now, we have done a bit of work uh, since our last uh, episode to look at supply chain and ultimately look at inflation and sort of try to gauge where things are headed. So there are a few measures that we pulled for supply chain and a discussion about that. One was the idea of backlogs in orders. And so think of it as backlogs building up when supply chains are under stress Good news is uh, over the last uh, few months, supply or I'm sorry, backlogs in orders have come down a little bit. Another interesting metric is the cost of shipping. So you know the different measures that we can check: China, uh, like the route from China to the U.S. West Coast, 
or from China to the EU or China to the U.S. East Coast uh, as example, different shipping costs. And there's different indices for that. But the bottom line is when we look at the sort of the cost of shipping, it went up a bit earlier in the year and then it's since been coming down. And so that's another good signal. Finally, uh, deliveries, basically supplier deliveries, um, sort of measured by um, uh, the ISM in this case. And basically, it's still a little bit elevated, but it got, has gotten better. And that all rolls up to uh, what's called the Global Supply Chain Pressure Index. And uh, it really has come down meaningfully uh, compared to its uh, recent highs. So we're seeing data, anyway, to cut to the chase, that supply chain pressures may be easing. Um, another body of work we did was really to try to look at components of inflation, get a feel for where things are headed, uh, uh, sort of up to and through the report that we got for July. And, you know, as I think everybody's aware, when we look at, for example, food, you know, food prices have gone up, but we're starting to see things calming a little bit, some prices coming back down. There's still a good ways to go in that, but, you know, the bottom line is that especially the increase in food prices has kind of eased a bit. And then another important thing, another important input to the economy in a way is is energy and oil. And so similarly, we've seen oil peak and then come back down. Now, people talk about oil sort of abstractly, but what matters to the consumer, of course, is the price of gasoline. And we see a similar pattern there, not surprisingly, right, that, that we've seen this sort of jump up and then down. So, you know, when we look back at the... Um, inflation over the last couple of years. And let me give you some numbers uh, just to give you a feel for it. So the, the average monthly increase in CPI in 2020 was 0.11%. That's very low and basically translates to round numbers about 1.3% annualized. In 2021, that jumped up. The average monthly CPI increase was 0.57%. And that annualizes to over 7%, which was pretty alarming. But then when we look at the first half of 2022, that monthly number increased even further to 0.89%, which annualizes over 11%. So that's sort of a concerning uh, series. Now, when we strip out food and energy, we still see a similar progression, but just not as dramatic, right? So for example, in the first half of 2022, the average monthly core CPI uh increase was 0.55%. And again, that excludes food and energy. That annualizes to a little bit lower than 7%, so 6.85%. And that obviously is still elevated. Now, the good news is, and it's just one data point, but the July reports came out for both CPI, core CPI, and actually uh, uh, producer price index, or PPI, and everything kind of calmed down. So the headline number for CPI was actually flat for the month of July. So it's 0%, obviously annualizes at 0%. And the core CPI, which takes out the effect of food and energy, remember I mentioned that food and energy is calming down a little bit. Um, that monthly number was at 0.3% for July. That annualizes to 3.66. So think of it as still above trend, but boy, in a good direction. And so again, inflation is really important. A different dimension of inflation, though, in, a, in addition to looking back or looking at the current numbers, is really to understand expectations. Because in a way, expectations can feed inflation. If people are expecting prices to go up, and maybe they'll tolerate it and prices will go up. So there are a couple measures we can look at for expectations. One is household surveys. And you know what I would say is that um, the uh, household surveys just in general have run above actual market rates. And they've 
had gone up a little bit. So it, in very round numbers, the survey for household expectations in, in the five to 10 year horizon, think five years from now for five years, is about 3%. Um, and that sort of bakes in, I think, some caution and worry uh, from individuals. When we look at market rates, what are called break-even rates, and this is essentially investors buying nominal bonds and treasury inflation protection bonds, how's the how those two bonds interact in, in a pricing sense give us a sense for the market's view of break-even. And again, that same period, five years out, four or five years has, has calmed down to just above 2%. So bottom line is the market is expecting inflation to calm down a little bit. And, you know, I would say, you know, one of the things that everyone's watching is, well, what does the Fed think? Uh, people know that the Fed's expecting to hike rates further this year and into next year, but then there are some that expect uh, the Fed to start easing in the probably the latter half of 2023 and into 2024. And I would say that the market expectations after the June, um, or I'm sorry, the July inflation report had really calmed down a little bit. So the market expectations had come down. Um, but this week we happen to have the Jackson Hole uh, Economic um, Monetary uh, sort of Central Bank uh, Conference and uh, people are kind of worried. They're watching Fed speeches and they're expecting uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell's speech on Friday to signal, eh, we're not done yet and we've got more work to do. So market expectations have risen just a little bit in terms of uh, what the market's expecting over the next year. And I would say overall, as it relates to this kind of calming of supply chain and recovery in terms of cooling inflation, markets have generally responded positively to that. So as an example, the S&P 500 uh, fell almost 24% from peak to trough this year. Um, and, uh, and since then, while we've seen a slight move down recently, including that move down, we're up in round numbers about 13% from that from that trough. So think of it as the market fell a lot out of worry about Fed policy, higher rates, slower economy, et cetera, but has recovered a good amount. And, um, and so again, that's obviously something we're going to be watching. Now, when we take a step back and look at the economy, while we're seeing things cool down, a lot of the data we look at, employment for sure, all kinds of employment data, super strong. Still, the ISM prints, the, this is basically purchasing managers' indices, remain reasonably above 50, which is signaling expansion. And retail sales, basically the consumer remains engaged. Now, as we've talked about before, the consumer is kind of blue, though. When we look at uh, confidence and sentiment measures, so those have fallen and uh, sit sort of below long-term trends and are signaling that the, that the consumer is worried. Now, we know that the consumer is pretty worried about inflation, um, so we'll be watching pretty closely to see as inflation calms down whether things get better in terms of the consumer mindset. In any event, despite that um, sort of sentiment, if you will, with the consumer, they remain engaged. As I mentioned, retail sales are strong. Savings remain at a reasonable level. It's a good job market. And even the contribution to second quarter GDP, which was a overall a negative print, a second negative print, the consumer's contribution to second quarter remained positive, which is an important data point. Now, people worry a lot about whether all of this is flipping us into a recession. We don't think that it is, but I do want to point out that we do have this recession dashboard. It's 13 different measures that we rate as either expansionary, cautionary, or recessionary. And... Um, up until recently, you know, I think we had uh, six um, 
yeah, six of those that were cautionary, none signaling recession. But we had two more flip from expansion to caution. Number one was basically housing start. So housing is essentially stalling. It's slowing down. It's been really hot. I think everybody knows that. But with higher rates, higher mortgage rates, et cetera, people may be being a little bit more worried that essentially some of the measures around uh, housing starts, for example, have slowed down quite a lot, uh, which is, you know, again, given how active the housing market has been, it's probably not a bad thing, but it is something that we measure and it is a signal of a slowdown. A second one, um, we see sort of what I'll call uh, profit margin risk as going up a little bit. So they remain historically high, but we're seeing little cr- cracks, right, in terms of increased costs, basically, uh, that may be putting pressure on, on profit margins. So it's a little bit of a forward-looking view. And, and again, we don't signal or flip it to recessionary, but we have flipped it to more cautionary. Now, I will say as it relates to kind of the environment, uh, as we talked about a little bit last month, this is an interesting time because the market's moves, both negative, right, um, year to date, have created buying opportunities. So in fixed income, you know, we see yields basically higher, um, you know, anywhere from kind of 2 to 3% in different areas, um, that uh, really represent, if you will, the forward-looking return, the idea with a yield to uh, maturity or, or yield to what's called worst if it is an option-embedded security, um, essentially tells us, hey, if interest rates remain about stable, this is approximately the return that you'll earn on the bond investment. And the bottom line is those numbers have gone higher. So whether one's looking at municipal bonds or corporate bonds or other taxable bonds here in the U.S., basically that forward-looking, quote-unquote, return uh, for holding those bonds has gone up a good amount, makes bonds more attractive. And then, as we know, with with valuations falling in the equity market, um, the bottom line is on a traditional valuation perspective, they're a bit more attractive. And that's sort of amplified by the idea that earnings uh, have uh, sort of held up here. In fact, for second quarter, much better than expected results. And the forecasts uh, from consensus views looking out for the uh, next calendar year and the following is, is for earnings growth to be maintained. Of course, it's something we're watching very carefully because uh, a slowdown in the economy can cause growth to fall. But right now the forecast is that it won't, and that is supportive of equity markets. So, you know, as it relates to navigating the rest of 2022, I want to point out a few things you know, I kind of took the step of, of, of uh, stepping back a little bit and looking at all the different things we monitor, my team and I, as we're dealing with the environment. And so what I'd say is we're going to be watching things like uh, employment, uh, the inflation prints for sure, uh, sentiment from the consumer, um, housing, all those things. We get basically monthly data. We'll be watching that month to month through the balance of the year. We have uh, still a number of uh, uh, Fed-related meetings, I think three more meetings, September, November, and December. Um, And so we'll be watching what the Fed has to say. And I would say in September and December, we'll get their economic projections. So we'll be watching that pretty closely. I've mentioned retail sales, of course, uh, and the consumer's engagement. We'll be watching that as well. And, um, you know, so thinking, sort of wrapping it all together, we'll be watching closely the different CPI prints and how that's affecting uh, Fed policy. Now, we also have 
in November, midterm elections. That'll be key. There's a lot of positioning going on uh, and a lot of stuff going on I won't get into in this uh, episode, really around both parties trying to build their sort of case for uh, the votes, if you will, uh, in November. But, you know, the bottom line is the uh, Democratic, the thin Democratic control uh, in in Congress is sort of up for grabs with that election, so the balance of powers uh, sort of in play. So that'll be a key event for sure. And then you know we'll be obviously watching uh, the Russia-Ukraine war. We'll be watching increased tensions really uh, in between China and Taiwan. As I've mentioned, we'll be monitoring earnings. And really, at the end of the day, it comes down to inf- inflation and the the effect of that on central bank bank policy, in our case, the Fed, and whether that leads to a recession. So I want to turn for just a couple minutes to some of our traditional topics. So first, the pandemic. The good news is that while we saw a slight increase in cases, things have calmed down a little bit. That's good news. And the pandemic, you know, really um, is something that seems to be knockwood, kind of stable, and we're really focused on reopening, which is really good. Jobs have recovered very meaningfully. I mentioned that we had a second negative print for GDP. So the the big question is, while we know we're in a technical recession defined by two negative prints in a row, uh, are we in a full-on recession? And the the view generally is no, uh, really related to the strength of the job market and some other data that remains positive, like the consumer, as I've mentioned. People do monitor interest rates, and the uh, yield curve has inverted again. Uh, so that is uh, typically viewed as a signal that the um, that we may be headed to a recession, and another version of that inversion. So that's the two ten, the two two year Treasury being higher than the ten year Treasury. Another one we watch is what's called near term forward spread, um, which is sort of uh, the expectation of rates uh, eighteen months from now minus today, uh, looking I think at the three month Treasury yield. And the bottom line is that it doesn't remain inverted, or that doesn't that is not yet inverted, but it is moving closer to that. So again, those are things that we're watching. Um, we also see, as I mentioned, consumer uh, confidence down, and the, all of this has led to a real slowdown in 2022. Most are forecasting growth in the 1.2 to call it 1.7 percent range, but our economist Lindsay Piegs is a little more negative. She actually thinks. In 2022, we'll see a contraction, but we'll see how that plays out. And when we look around the world, we're seeing countries, uh, really their economic momentum kind of pause and ease, and there's some that are moving very slightly into a contractionary state. So that, again, is a data set uh, that we're watching. In any event, all of this tells us that we're certainly late cycle, um, and so we know growth is slowing we know profits are going to come under pressure, but we don't think we're yet at an at a recession for the reasons I've mentioned earlier, and that we're kind of late cycle, um, but are probably you know call it twelve months away from a recession. Now all of this inflation, recession risk, uh, you know activities in D.C., supply chain pressures, etc. Everything has contributed to volatility. We've seen uh, rates generally go higher. Um, in the U.S. Uh, here in 2022, but they have calmed back down recently. Uh, and I also had a, a quick study done for this month of the uh, basically market volatility patterns, so the VIX index over the last 30 years. And without getting into the granular detail, what I'll tell you is that the month of October 
is the most volatile month typically. Um, and, and September and, um, uh, and November are, are close behind that. So think of it as moving into the end of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. That tends in, on average to be a volatile time and a little bit more so in midterm years. And so just know that, you know, if this is a typical year, we could easily experience increased volatility as we get through the end of the summer and, uh, and see people re-engage and all these issues that we've been talking about. We've talked before about the pattern of the market this year, that it's an unusual year and that both stocks and bonds are in negative territory from a return perspective, when typically, you know, going back for a number of years, um, they diversify one another. Sometimes they're up together, but typically if one of those categories is negative, the other is positive, and they kind of help one another in terms of diversifying. But this year it's a little unusual, and we still have you know a number of months to go until the end of the year. So we'll see how that unfolds. In any event, to give us some numbers in terms of performance, I think uh, S&P 500 is down just over 12% uh, year to date. Um, and, uh, and the growth-related stocks um, are sort of the big drivers of that, with a Russell 1000 growth down almost 20%, and the New York Stock Exchange, Shifang Plus Index, all the big tech names, down around numbers about 27%. So again, uh, we, we hit a bear market. We've seen a little bit of recovery. Uh, but that's typical. When we look as long-term investors, we have these periods of bear markets, and then those are offset by periods that are typically longer and more magnified uh, for bull markets. So we'll see how that, that unfolds. As it relates to our asset allocation leanings, we haven't made any changes since uh, last month and actually for a few months. We remain modestly overweight non-U.S. stocks. For those that are actively invested, we suggest a modest overweight to small cap. And then in the large cap space, we've been overweight large cap value stocks, kind of a, a, a recovery play uh, that actually overall has turned out pretty well. In any event, in, in the fixed income space, we're generally neutral, but we are for those that are actively managed and that do invest in high yield bonds, modestly overweight there. I'll close by saying that if you go to page 42, you'll see a, a slide with links to all kinds of work including this podcast series and a video that goes with it. Uh, but most importantly, whether or not you look at that slide, I would invite you to go to stiefelinsights.com. This is a website that we just recently uh, sort of updated to contain all of our work, uh, nicely laid out, most recent work at the top, and, and just invite everyone to kind of check that out as well. So anyway, thanks so much for um, listening to this episode this month, and we'll catch you after the Labor Day holiday in the end of summer, uh, when we come back to you in September. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to automatically receive each month's podcast in your feed.